Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Well, we are, as Justin mentioned, in the middle of a study of prayer. We wrap that up this Sunday. And so uh, will you stand with me for the reading of the word? I've referenced this prayer a few times in our study together over the last couple weeks, but we want to unpack it this morning. And so let's take a look at Nehemiah chapter 1, one of my favorite prayers of the Old Testament beginning in verse 4. Nehemiah says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And here's his prayer. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. For the last few Sundays, we have talked about prayer, both by studying the words of prayer, if you've been with us. If you weren't, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Various Hebrew and Greek words that unpack for us a different way to look at prayer in the Bible. And then last week, we unpacked various themes of prayer, like you can kind of track them through the scriptures, what the complaint looked like, what the blessing looked like, um, what the praise looked like, what the confession looked like. But this morning... I want to just take a look at a prayer because I think it's great when God gives us a model like that. Then we can say, okay, I don't know how to pray, but I can look to the scriptures and pray in this pattern. And so that's what we want to look at today. And I'm going to unpack that prayer for you with four ideas, praise, confession, scripture requests. That's the outline of the prayer. And I would encourage you as you're learning to pray or wherever you are in your prayer life, if it's grown a little stagnant, then take a scriptural prayer, a prayer that's in the Bible, and rather than just read it, look at the content there and then begin to pray in that way. The four elements you find in this prayer are praise, confession, scripture, and request. So let me unpack those with you if I could. Let's take a look at the first one, praise. Here's a definition of that from the prayer itself. We worship God for who he is and what he has done. That's praise, okay? Very simply, we worship God for who he is and what he has done. And you're gonna find that in the prayer in just a moment, but you can kind of track the outline there, praise, confession, scripture, request. The first thing you wanna do in your prayer time is just spend time praising the Lord. Now, pause. You might say, Phil, my circumstances are really difficult. 
It's been a bad year. It's been a bad couple of years. I don't know what I'm going to praise the Lord for. I'm glad that's where you are because I can help you with that from the scriptures. Because look at what Nehemiah does in Nehemiah chapter 1. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. Let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. He is over here in the area of Babylon. He has been removed his entire life from the land of Israel and the world of Jerusalem. He is serving in a pagan government, totally pagan. Um, the king himself, some have said, was feeding his hired people were up to 15,000 people a day. That's a lot of people. Nehemiah is kept privately with the king as the cupbearer. If he does anything other than smile in the presence of the king, he can be executed. Okay? That's a bad day, right? Um, and Nehemiah is overwhelmed with emotion because he has heard that in Jerusalem, his family is in distress because the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and people just move in and out of there. It's like they have no police force whatsoever. So when other foreign armies come in, they can just take whatever they want. Right? So here Nehemiah is, okay? in that kind of moment. And he's been weeping about it for days, but when he goes to work, he's got to put a smile on it, okay? And yet, his prayer starts out by, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, Nehemiah had grasped the greatness of God. That's why he starts there. He doesn't start with his circumstances, with his difficulty, with his request. And let's just be honest for a moment. We all have a tendency when we pray to jump right to the heart of the request, okay, as opposed to pause and remember the greatness of God. Now, there's two ways that Nehemiah praises the Lord in this prayer. The first one is he praises him for his unchanging character. That's why he says you're the great and awesome God. His circumstance didn't, didn't look like that. But he went first for the character of God, then he'll praise him for his faithful involvement. You say, Phil, um, I struggle with the character of God. I, 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 when I start to pray, I don't know where to start. Well, a number of years ago, a friend of mine um, said, shared with me that she had begun to pray through the attributes of God just by recounting them in the alphabet, okay? And so, uh, um, I've picked up that pattern at times, and that's been helpful for me. When I don't exactly know what to say, I just pause and say, okay, let's start with A. So here you go, all 26 letters, right? These are just a few words. You got a lot more words for A, B, C than the ones that are listed here. But these are ways, if you just say, okay, I'm going to praise the Lord through his attributes and qualities. So here we go. A is able, he is awesome. B is beginning. C is the conqueror, creator. D, he is the deliverer. E, he is everlasting strength. F, he is faithful. He's a father. G, he is grace-giving. He's a guide. H, he is the hope-giving helper. I, he is the I am who I am. That's what he says in Exodus chapter 3. J, he is just. K, he is kind. He is the king of kings. L, he is Lord, Lord of lords, merciful and mighty. N, he is near. O, he is the overcomer. P, he is the prince of peace. Q, he is quick to forgive. R, he is the the Redeemer, the Refuge, S, he is the Sinless Savior, T, he is true and trustworthy, U, he is unchanging, um, V, he is very present, the very present help, W, he is worthy, um, X, you ready for this? He is Skanovsky. You say, what is that? Okay. That's the only word in X I could find <laughs> that described God. That means, and I love this word, that means he is the receiver of strangers. Wow, is that awesome? You leave today knowing a word that starts with X that describes God, okay? 
He is the receiver of strangers. Why? He is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is zealous. If you want to say, well, my circumstances are hard. I don't know how to praise God. Just start going through the alphabet, right? You say, well, I don't even know where to start. Google it, right? Then just start rehearsing the character of God. But see, Nehemiah doesn't only do that. He doesn't only praise him for his unchanging character. He praises him for his faithful involvement. And you see that in the rest of that praise phrase, because look what he says. You are the God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's great. God is the covenant-keeping God. He's the God who keeps his promises, but he's also the God that is active in his love. Now, this word, steadfast love, the King James used to translate it as the word loving kindness. It speaks of God's love in action. It's, the Hebrew word has said it's such a great word, and it means that God shows his love to us. It's beautiful. So Nehemiah says, okay, I'm going to praise God for who he is, and I'm going to praise God for what he does. Let's talk about, um, this is just by brief review from last week. I'll just kind of tag it in there. Last week in the issue of praise, we had to acknowledge we may not fully understand our circumstances, but we must learn to praise God whether those circumstances are good or difficult. We must learn to praise God. Let's talk about confession. That's the second part of this prayer. So he starts by praising God for who he is, what he does. Now he gets to confession. Recognize the seriousness of sin and take responsibility. You need to recognize the seriousness of sin and take responsibility. Now, this is helpful when you start with praise because once you start articulating who God is in your prayer life, if you didn't see yourself in the right position between you and God, you will, okay? You'll all of a sudden say, wow, God is holy. He is awesome. I have problems. I have issues, all right? So you're gonna see the gap and you're gonna recognize the seriousness of your sin. Notice how Nehemiah does that. He says, now I pray before you day and night, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. 24 hours a day, Nehemiah, in his heart and mind, was praying. And while he was doing that, he was remembering sin. The sin that his people had done, and you'll see in a minute, the sin that he had done. He goes on to say that we have acted very corruptly against you. Now, I love that. This is such an important part of confession. Now, the word corruptly is the word, Hebrew word cabal. It actually means like an intertwining. It's like a, a rope being twisted on itself, okay? And just think about the way you and I come to engage sin. We, we engage in it. We think about it. We dwell upon it. We commit it. We hide it. We make excuses for it. It's like that rope that's getting twisted, okay? Let me tell you something else that's here. The word occurs twice. The English word very is is written in there so that we might understand what it's saying. It actually says, we have acted corruptly, corruptly against you, which is the Hebrew kind of idiom to say, we say it twice because we want to say this is over-the-top corruption. Now, Now, just for a moment, understand, this is Nehemiah, Okay? He's praised God for the fact that he's great and awesome. He, his circumstances are bad, but he pauses and says, well, Lord, we have done some things that are wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. But I notice something else. Notice how you gotta take responsibility. Notice the end of this confession part. He says, even I and my father's house have sinned. It's pretty easy to say about how everybody else sinned. Okay. But Nehemiah takes his own responsibility. I too have acted corruptly. My father's house, my family has acted corruptly. 
Now, you may remember last week, just a brief review from last week. Confession may start as feelings of guilt, but it must conclude with ownership of the wrongs done. You may feel guilty, but if you just kind of try to confess your feelings, you have to get to the point where you articulate what you've done that's wrong in the confession. That's what repentance looks like. It doesn't just say, um, I've done some things wrong. It doesn't downplay it. It owns it. And in this confession, you're going to see this. Let me show you this in Nehemiah's prayer. Don't only do general confession. Be specific. Name your sins, okay? Just name them. Lord, I'm asking your forgiveness for this, for this, for this. Name your sins. Because in the naming of the sins, there suddenly is this ownership. There's this humility that has to take place. We don't like to say it, but we need to learn to say it. Um, I love this in the text. Look at this. We have acted very corruptly against you, serious, and have not kept three things, the commandments, the statutes, and the rules. Notice how Nehemiah articulates three things. You say those three things sound like the same things, but they're not, right? The commandments literally was a breaking of the law. That's the idea that that God had given them the law, and they'd totally forgotten it, and they had broken it largely in idolatry, but they had broken it. The statutes, this is such a cool word. It's, um, the Hebrew word actually meant to engrave something in stone. And you can see that in our English word, right? Because statutes looks like what? Statues, okay? So this is the idea that whatever God's law was, it, it wasn't to be thrown away. It, it was to be enduring. It was like you engrave something on the stone so it would outlast you, right? It would outlast your generation and generations to come. Walk through any cemetery in Gloucester County and look at how some of those, some of those gravestones still have dates that are 150 years old, right? They, the, something that is engra- engraved in the stone is meant to outlast us. That's the picture. And finally, rules. The, the word rules that we translate here was a combination. The, the Hebrews put the things together. It was like, here's the commandment, and here's the just judgment. Here's the commandment, and here's the consequence. Here's the commandment, here's the punishment. That's what's meant by rules. And so Nehemiah says, hey, we've broken all of these things, and I can list them. That's because we just don't list our sins generally in confession. We list them specifically. Right, now, let me give you the the third idea here. The third idea in Nehemiah's prayer is simply Scripture. Seek to know the will of God through the Word of God in prayer. Several decades ago, when I was teaching through the book of Nehemiah, I remember when I came to this part in the prayer, and I remember just thinking, wow, that doesn't sound anything like I pray. Like, why don't I pray like that, okay? Because look at what Nehemiah does, and, and, and you have to ask yourself why he's doing it, Okay. Remember the word, he says that you commanded your servant Moses saying, and now you can see the quotations. He is drawing these thoughts from Deuteronomy 21, Leviticus 26, and Deuteronomy chapter four. What he's doing is he's pulling together a whole section of scripture, and I just want you to see how long this is. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you're outcasts, that is, though they, though they were refugees in another part of the world, are in the uttermost parts of heaven, your people, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place where I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Okay, that almost doesn't even seem to fit in the prayer. Right? You have to ask yourself, why did he insert scripture into the prayer like that? And I'm going to give you three practical reasons, okay? Seek to know the will of God through the word of God in prayer. 
which just to be really simple, tomorrow when you spend time in prayer, pray with your Bible open, okay? Just pray with your Bible open. And and if you really want to kind of supercharge it, pray with the Psalms open. Just open up to the Psalms, read a Psalm, and insert part of that Psalm in your prayer conversationally. Because this prayer by Nehemiah is conversational, but it's got a lot of scripture in it. So you got to ask yourself, how do we go about doing that? Here's a couple things that happen when we insert the scripture. We are able to discern God's will more effectively. We often pray saying, Lord, help me with the decision. I don't know whether to take this job or not take this job. I don't know whether to move out of the state or not move out of the state. I don't know where to go. I don't know. And, And we pray like that. But if we actually prayed with the scripture inserted in the prayer, we would be able to discern God's will more, careful, more, more effectively. A.W. Tozer used to say, if God gives you a wristwatch, do you honor him more by always asking him what time it is or just checking your watch? Now, let me see if I can explain that another way. If God gives you a wristwatch so you can discern God's will, Do you honor him more by saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Or just checking the watch. Okay, do you see it? God has given us his word. When we insert the word into the prayer, what ends up happening is all of a sudden we can discern God's will a little bit more effectively. And here's the other reason that's important. Because when you make a decision, because you prayed about it, okay, and then life gets hard after that decision, it's pretty easy to say, whoa, maybe I didn't hear God right. It's a lot easier if you can say, when I was praying, I was in that passage, that passage, and that passage, and those are the passages that God spoke to me through. I shared with you a few weeks ago, I remember where I was sitting where I went, when I took the call to come to Fellowship Bible Church and I was praying through that. Um, I remember the passages, Exodus 3, Isaiah 6, Joshua 1. Those were my passages. As I was praying, my Bible was open. And so, in 30 years of ministry, you got some reasons to think maybe you might have made the wrong decision, right? So there were some of those times, but I could always go back to those passages because I discerned God's will more effectively through Scripture and prayer. Here's the second idea. They put your request in line with God's priorities. When you start to ask for requests, even for other people, you suddenly have your request in line with the priorities of God if you've inserted the scriptures. They're just not maybe you're asking for something and you don't know what it is. And here's the final one. They make our prayers more spiritual and less superficial. When I don't know how to pray for someone, but I'm given their name and I want to pray for them, I always go back to the prayer in Colossians where it says, I pray that you would bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of God, give thanks in all things, be strengthened with all power. Those four elements spell out B-I-G-S, big spiritually. So that's just how I pray. And in praying, that prayer suddenly becomes more spiritual for them and less superficial. superficial. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray this way, but you know, when we say, dear Lord, help us to have a good day, okay, that's pretty superficial. What if in our dependence on the Lord, God brings for us a really bad day, okay? But if we prayed, I want to bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of God, give thanks in everything, be strengthened with all power, suddenly that prayer has shifted in its content. One final one, then we're done. Love this, request. Ask briefly on behalf of others and yourself. Ask briefly. If you learn anything from the prayer of Nehemiah, you learn that he spent all his time in praise, in confession, and in scripture. 
So when it came to the request, it was pretty simple. Here it is. Um, Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's it. Okay. Let me see. Um, Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That is about a seven-second request. That's it. You say, well... I, when I give requests to the Lord, I give a lot of requests to the Lord. I just, maybe I can just take a moment and make the case for brevity. Okay. I'm all for the fact that we should pour out our heart to the Lord. But what I want you to see from the biblical prayer is if we spend all our time in the request, we haven't followed at least Nehemiah's biblical pattern. Let me uh, introduce you to a gentleman by the name of... Uh, by the name of Edward Everett, who in November 18th, 1863, gave a speech in about 100 miles from here. And his speech went an hour and 57 minutes, okay? Now, I've never preached that long in my life, right? But he spoke for an hour and 57 minutes. His speech was so powerful that it was impacted, it was interrupted by applause. He kept speaking and speaking and speaking. And the local paper the next morning printed his entire speech on the front two pages. But there was another man that day who gave a speech on the very same day, and his speech followed Edward Edward Everett's. And his speech lasted, are you ready for this? 120 seconds. You say, wow, I bet that wasn't much of a speech. Well, that's what the person said when the second speaker gave his speech and sat down. The person looked at him and said, is that it? Okay. And the man replied by saying, that's all of it. Okay. The one man spoke an hour and 57 minutes. The other man spoke 120 seconds. Everett said of the second man's speech, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. And the second man who gave the speech was Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address. Now, some of you may remember in high school or elementary school that you had to memorize the Gettysburg Address. Aren't you glad you only had to memorize Lincoln's and not Everett's? Okay. Here's the point, 1863, we're 100 plus years removed from that date, and yet nobody knows Everett's speech, and most people would know Lincoln's speech. I would make a case in prayer here for the brevity of the request, not just because you're brief and you don't know what to say, but because your prayer has been filled up with praise and confession and scripture, so that what's left there's a very limited time for the request. In fact, if you just count the words, check this out. The praise portion of Nehemiah's prayer is about 26% when you kind of just take the praise and pull out the other added words around it. The confession portion is 19%. The scripture portion, you ready for this, is 50% of the prayer, and the request is 5% of the prayer. Wow. Can I ask a question? Do we pray that way? Nehemiah goes on to have this literally God-moving, miraculous kind of life. He does things in the book of Nehemiah that could not be done if God did not step in. A wall that has taken 70 years to build and could never be built is built within 52 days. A king that's a pagan king, when Nehemiah brings him the request, he, he says, listen, Nehemiah, here's my checkbook. What do you need? You need timber from there? Let's get it. You need this from there? Let's get it. Whatever you need, get it. And hey, you're on hiatus. Go back and rebuild your walls. Nehemiah does things 
that should not be humanly possible. And I think you can go right back to Nehemiah chapter one and say his prayer was built in such a way that God would answer the request because his prayer was built in this biblical kind of way. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to think. You got prayer journals, you got things we've been giving you all week long. This is the last Sunday on prayer for a while. I just want you to think, okay, what if I reshape my prayer so that it became more like that and less like how I'm praying? Remember, I said early on, my favorite image of all for prayer is this. We are children conversing with the Father. Okay. We are not telling him what to do. We are asking him if he would be so kind to act on our behalf to comfort us, to help us, to strengthen us, to heal us. But this is the posture of prayer, a child conversing with his father. Father, it's been a privilege to look to prayer over the last several weeks and just to pause and reflect upon the fact that we want these conversations with you, but we want them to be meaningful. We want them to have impact. We want them to be encouraging and change us. So I pray you would help us do that. May we be known um, because we only took on things and projects that we felt we had prayed for. We didn't just jump in on our own abilities, our own creativity, but we trusted you with those decisions. And we ask of you, shape our prayer lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.